Welcome back to the What's Your One More podcast. I'm your host, Quentin Harris. And today we are going to talk about the State of the Union Address. And uh, I'm going to try to stay away from being political on this, but there were some things in the State of the Union Address that did sway the market. And there were some things that were said in there that I think are worth kind of breaking down and talking a little bit about. Because, you know, I remember as a kid watching the State of the Union Address uh, with my folks. And what I mean by watching it was I would cringe and I would try to avoid it at all costs. Like I was hoping that they would change the channel, the remote would get lost, and that we would never have to watch this. But my dad, being the political pundit he is, always wanted to watch it, and it was uh, it was always cringeworthy for me as a child growing up. I kind of felt that way the other night when I saw this. And not taking political sides, but there was a lot of things that were said. Um, there were some cheap shots taken at the beginning amongst the parties, but let's get past all that. I'll leave that to the political pundits. It just wasn't really good, and it definitely wasn't factual-based. You know, and one of the things right off the bat that the president alluded to in here is that, you know, Americans are always moving forward. We're, we're, we're a nation of resiliency and that we're moving forward and that there's a lot of great things going on. When in fact, we've actually been moving backwards for quite some time. We got a growing debt. Uh, we have an economy that's uh, quote unquote not thriving. We have the highest inflation that we've seen in almost you know, 20, 30, 40 plus years. I don't know how that's moving forward. And there's a lot of things inside of that financial debt. And, and you know, my definition of moving forward is when you have economic freedom. And when you have constraints and when you have policies that are put in place and that further policies are being looked to put in place that restrain that economic freedom, you're not really moving forward. You're moving backwards as a society when it comes to the economics of our country. And therefore, for me, I don't believe that we're moving forward. You know, one of the things, the signature line was building the economy from the bottom up and out. And and the, the our president loves the term, the trickle-down effect. And, and to me, what's interesting is there's not a president that builds the economy. They don't build the economy. Capitalism, growth, and investment build the economy and therefore add more jobs to the economy. But the president of the United States never builds the economy. And, you know, one thing to me that stood out in one of these examples is, you know, he really focused on the idea of giving money to the middle class and also to the poor under the idea that they would spend us out of whatever economic turmoil that we're in. And again, that's just not a reality because the reality is it's capitalism, it's investment, it's the creation of jobs, it's the creation of products, and it's the enjoyment of those products and the growth of the economy that actually gets us out of that, not just giving money for people to spend temporarily because it creates a temporary result. It doesn't give a permanent result. And so the president really did a good job on, I don't want to say beating his chest of having the lowest unemployment that we've had in 50 years, but let's face it, we've changed the way we've measured unemployment. We've moved the goalposts so many times that, of course, that number is going to look better. Oh, and by the way, we're coming off one of the highest rankings that we ever had during COVID. Let's take a step back in 2020, early 2021. How many people were laid off? How many people were temporarily sent home? How many jobs were not being fulfilled? Of course, you should be doing better than that. But I don't think by any means I'd get up on stage and brag about something that I really didn't create or take credit for. Also, we measure unemployment in two different ways now. You know, we have the U6 unemployment and the U3 unemployment unemployment. And the reality is we're not keeping tabs on people that are no longer collecting unemployment. For example, we have 4 million people that have chosen not to go to work. We call those the, the job quitters or the job losers. And I don't mean they're the losers in aspects of they don't have a job. That's just what the report is called. But because they're not collecting unemployment, they're not measured in the, in the metric that's being divulged to the public. When we say unemployment's at 3.6 or 3.5, whatever metric you're looking at. And then there's this victory lap that the president took during this time about manufacturing jobs in particular. 
And this one was a head scratcher to me because when I look at manufacturing jobs, these were jobs that are placeholders that were kept in place for people that were sent home from companies that said, hey, listen, right now, the production line's halted. We're not going to have any more manufacturing during this time. Go home. We'll call you when you need to come back. That's, that's, like, that's like a maternity leave kind of this example. Hey, listen, I know you're going to home and have a baby. When you come back, your job will be waiting for you at X amount of months after that time. Well, this is an example of where people were told to go home. Their job will be waiting for them when the time is right when they come back. That was not a new created job. And you can't stand up and take credit for something that's a placeholder that you didn't create. And that's a false narrative being given to the general public. And for me, the thing is taking credit for these new jobs that have been created. Well, when we break down those new jobs, as you've heard Alex from the Market Distillery do so eloquently on our show, a lot of those are second jobs. A lot of those are part-time jobs. Why on earth are we bragging about people having to get a second job and a second and a part-time job when in fact the reason they're having to do that is because they can't afford their current style of living? Well, why can't they afford their current style of living? Because of inflation. Inflation in rents, inflation in housing, inflation in cost of goods, inflation on gas, inflation on energy inflation on food. That I wouldn't get up and brag about that personally. I would I would want to not have to face that head on and talk about it in a braggadocious manner, but that didn't seem to be the case during the State of the Union. And so one of the things that uh, he really kind of jumped on was that not only am I creating more jobs, over the two years of my presidency, 10.5 million new business filings have been filed, meaning he's wanting to you believe that 10.5 million people have decided to create a new job, create a new business during this time. Well, I'm not so sure that I'm buying that either because what we're finding is that there's a lot of gig economy people that were sent home that may have been W-2 people working from home that transitioned to 1099. And those 1099 people, they are starting a business, subcontractor if you may, but that's not the creation of a new company. That doesn't mean they're going to hire hundreds of employees or even tens of employees. They are an individual subcontractor. Oh, and by the way, just because you file for a new business doesn't mean you're starting a new business. I know a lot of people that file for startups and they never make it past the filing point. And so the ideology of you created 10 and a half or 10 and a half new million worth of new businesses have been created under your presidency, that is a false narrative as well. And, you know, the thing about this that I think is always kind of um, interesting, when you look at a subcontractor, here's another thing that kind of goes back to those unemployment rankings. If you lose as an independent contractor a contract, who are you laying off if it's just you? You're not firing yourself. You can't take yourself to the unemployment line and go get unemployment taxes or, excuse me, unemployment benefits because you, you're just on to the next contract. And you're not letting go a team as an independent contractor under that notion. That also skews the unemployment numbers because when those contracts aren't fulfilled— and meaning when you don't have a contract and you're in and out of jobs, you're still unemployed, but those numbers don't show up in the unemployment numbers because as a uh, metric, it's being manipulated how that is actually being disclosed to suppress those numbers as well because the administration wants everyone to believe that they are creating more jobs and that unemployment is at an all-time low. However, moving on, the Inflation Reduction Act was towards the middle of this conversation they talked about. And this is probably one of my uh, pet peeves because the, it, it actually is against the entire title. You weren't reducing inflation. You actually had a $1.7 trillion uh, printing of new money that took place that, quite frankly, we didn't have in the budget, which adds to the national deficit. And, you know, when I take a look at that inside that trade, or excuse me, inside that Inflation Reduction Act, he talks about the trade deficit reduction that took place. That's not true either because going back to that manufacturing uh, conundrum I talked about where the people were not working during that time, you know, the cost of goods went up because we had a limited amount of workers working. We were producing a limited amount of products. So, of course, 
of course our trade deficit is going to come be at an all time high, but we're coming off that all time high into new new lo- like new lows, but new territory. It doesn't mean you reduced it. People went back to work, and so that's a byproduct of people going back to work, not necessarily things that you've created. And so you know, I think that sometimes the writers of this and the people they surround themselves with, they can take a narrative however they want to during a state of a union to make people feel a kind of way. But what's interesting is how the markets moved to that. And I'm not so sure that that was fair um, from a standpoint of a belief. And that's kind of why I'm tackling that in today's episode. And so for me, when I look at that, the backbone of that Inflation Reduction Act is actually on the middle class because what's going to happen is the taxes that are going to be passed down are going to be passed down to the middle class to pay for that Inflation Reduction Act, not necessarily just creating new money and putting it in the system and not making up for it. There's always a price to pay for that. And so interestingly to me is that he harped on um, the antitrust bill, if you may. He really, really harped on that he wants to create laws that require companies to buy American. Like, how crazy is that when you think about it? Like, you're going to force a company to buy American? I feel like I'm one of the biggest patriots there is. I want to buy American. However, if the product's not good, and I'm not saying it's not, but let's assume that the product is inferior. Let's assume the product is way more exper- way more expensive for an inferior product. Why on earth would you punish a company for buying a superior product at a cheaper cost? Guess who's going to end up paying for that in the end? It isn't the government. It's going to be the consumer. And that is the silliest thing I ever heard. There was a time, there was a time when we didn't have government regulation putting their nose in businesses where it doesn't belong when guess what? We had the best American product. We had the best wages being paid at that time and we produced a superior product. Ever since the government has become more regulated into companies, those are dissipating and we are not winning that battle that we should be winning. And we're forcing companies to buy American when we should be celebrating them buying American because we produce the superior product compared to our competitors at a cheaper rate. And currently we're not doing that. And by adding more government regulation into these businesses, you're only going to further distance that from happening. And you're going to add more cost than you are really product or production during this time. And to me, that was not uh, that was not encouraging when I saw that. Yo, thank you so much for choosing us today. We're definitely not done with our podcast, but we are going to take a really short sponsor break, and then we'll get right back to the show. I've been in the lending business for 20 years. I've seen many different lenders. During those 20 years, I recognized there's a difference between being an originator and an advisor. And the team at Bank of England is full of advisors. They take their time to understand your needs. They take the time to structure a mortgage for you and your family. And I cannot recommend them enough. If you're in the market to purchase a home, maybe it's a second home, maybe it's an investment property, or you're looking to refinance your current property that you live in, take a minute to work with the advisors at Bank of England Mortgage. They're a nationwide lender, and you can find your local branch at boemortgage.com. www.boemortgage.com because it's more than loans, it's people. Thanks so much for letting us give a shout out to our sponsor. All right, now back to the podcast. As we move towards the, the final part of this, this is the one I, I, you know, when I look at like antitrust and I look at the uh, Interstate Commerce Act and all the wonderful things he quoted during that time, the removal of junk fees. Now, let me back up real quick because when I take a look at... Um, 
I do want to talk about this, this national deficit that he had on there. When I take a look at this, he really, really targeted how he's reduced the national deficit. And, and the reality is um, he didn't really reduce it. We're coming, off, <laughs> we're coming off of a high that he added to it. But he said, I've done better than my predecessor. So what was interesting about that, and it doesn't matter what side of the fence you're on, that's actually a factual statement. But what he left off that I thought was really interesting is that during the Biden and Obama administration, the eight years that they were together, they literally did more in the national, they doubled the national deficit. So think about this, they doubled the national deficit in eight years. That's took George Washington's presidency to George W. Bush's presidency. 200 years of presidency, these dudes doubled that in eight years. And I noticed that's not talked about. And what's interesting to me is that you can spend that any way you want to. That's just a straight fact. So this administration has a history of spending money and has a history of adding to that national debt. And I think when I take a look at that, um, that, that to me is kind of a disturbing number when I take a look at some of the, the interesting things that he keeps saying during the speech. And one of them was the removal of junk fees. And so where I'm going with is this, is that Mr. President said that Americans are strapped and struggle due to junk fees. And I think when he pointed out junk fees, he said, I'm going to look them up here as airlines, chains and cancellation fees. He talked about banks overdraft fees. He talked about the hotel resort fee, cell phone contract cancellation, early cancellation of your internet and cable. And he said, according to Biden, these fees are plaguing the American public. Are you kidding me? Like hotel resort fees are plaguing the American public? Cancellation of a contract that you physically signed are plaguing the American public? Overdraft fees where you're spending money, maybe you do or don't have, and there's overdraft or lack of overdraft protection, that's plaguing the American economy? No, no, sir. The all-time high inflationary rate that you have right now, that's plaguing the American economy, along with many other factors of doubling and tripling, you know, debt loads that aren't supposed to be there, that's plaguing the American economy. The eight years between the Biden administration and the Obama administration, doubling the national debt, that's plaguing the American economy, not resort fees at a hotel. I'm sorry. And I don't buy that either. And so interestingly is that, you know, this is, it's really none of the government's business. If a hotel wants to charge a resort fee or if a bank wants to charge an overdraft fee or if a contract that someone signed is canceled early, that there's a fee with that. That's not the government's job to intervention with that, but they are. And this is, you know, when you have government regulation that starts to suck the life and choke the life out of companies like a Python, it's going to lead for terrible disasters for the consumer. The consumer will not win. And that, that's a burden. And the government is looking to cause that. Now, do I think this, this bill will pass? Absolutely not. I do not think it'll pass the Junk Fee Prevention Act. I do not think it will pass. I think it's one of the most absurd acts that was put out there. And I think that's just, you know, squawk talk to get people to general public go, yeah, that's our guy. That, that's not going to work. But let's assume for a minute it did. And I love this. Let's assume for a minute this actually passes. And let's just go to the hotel resort fee, for example. Okay, so they're going to do away with the resort fee. Guess what they're going to do with the fee of the room? They're going to raise it a lot. And they're going to raise it a lot more than just the resort fee. They're going to find ways inside of that hotel to make money. Oh, and by the way, here's the thing. If you go to a hotel that has a resort fee and you don't want to stay there, guess what? Don't stay there. And you don't, and people don't, they go somewhere else. So the system is already working 
that is not the, the resort fee being hidden is not necessarily um, an issue. And I question like, did, did did the president or someone on his cabinet go to a place and get pissed off about the resort fee? And now they're like, oh man, this shouldn't even been on there. I can't believe that's on there. So now let's, this just a junk fee. This is crap. So let's come up with a junk re- removal prevention act. No, this is the most absurd thing I ever heard in my life. And the other thing is, just, let's assume it does go through. Think about this from a banking standpoint. And we saw it happen in 2008 all the way through 2010. When the, when the CFPB came in and changed some of the ways in which banks can make money, there were some things the consumer lost in that that were very beneficial to them that now they don't have access to, starting with free checking and no ATM fees. When's the last time you went to the bank, you had no ATM fees, no matter what ATM you went to. You could go to a competitor's ATM, there were no fees. You had free checking, true free checking. Now, I know we don't use a lot of checks, but when you need a checkbook, you have it, but you, now you're paying for that. That stuff's not eliminated. You know, there was a time when you had perks on the credit card and perks inside of the banking system that you don't have any longer because they took away banks' payment, banks' ability to take payments over the phone. So, and the reason they would take them over the phone is they would have a charge of like fifteen to twenty-seven dollars to make that payment. They took that away, and so when they took away abilities for banks to make money in this case on what they consider to be you know, junk fees throughout that uh, process, banks took away some of the privileges the consumer got, and now they have to pay for them. The same thing's going to happen again. And here's what's interesting. If it goes through, let's talk about an overdraft protection. Think about this for a notion. When you are overdrafted in your account, and we've all been there before at some point in our career, it either happens on purpose or happens on accident, and sometimes it's a combination of both, right? Maybe you're juggling money. Maybe you moved one from you thought you moved something from one account to another, but it happens. I think we can all agree it happens because the funds aren't there. So if the bank can't charge you an overdraft free, free, excuse me, which by the way, they're floating that money. When the bank floats that money on your behalf, that's an overdraft fee. When the bank covers that and now they can't cover that, is it is it unthinkable to think that the bank changes their policy and procedure and says, okay, you have to now carry a minimum amount in our checking account. And if you don't, we don't want your deposits. Like that could happen. That, that could be the result of a, of a silly act like what we're talking about here. And it's, it's at this point, just shop around and find the bank that does want you. And I guarantee you when you get there, there's going to be a service fee that goes along with that account, or there's going to be something that goes along at a charge rate to that account that might not be labeled a junk fee. It might be a real wake-up fee from this whole junk prevention act. So. I don't think that uh, I don't think that a best practice in the industry necessarily results in an antitrust or a junk fee protection act. I, I think that that's just a situation where you know that's that's just big talk to to basically have the general public think, hey, listen, I'm doing something good. I don't think that's really a reality. So, but kind of breaking this down on here at the very end here, the last thing I'll leave you with is this: whenever government tries to solve a problem by inserting policies to help the problem. They generally make the problem worse and they do not help the consumer ever. And every one of those things that I heard come out of the State of the Union address took me back to thinking, I wish they would change the channel and I didn't have to watch this, just like I did when I was younger because literally that was one of the worst State of the Union addresses I've ever heard. And I think it was filled with a tremendous amount of false narrative and lies. And if you think back to the previous presidency, when that person had to give the State of the Union address, do you recall all the fact checkers that would pop up on the bottom? And again, it doesn't matter who you voted for. I could care less. I'm just saying, if we're going to do it, let's do it right. Why was there no fact checking going on on any of the channels while this gentleman was saying the things he was saying? And it's because the narrative is is basically we, we want you, if you're watching our news system, to believe all of this. 
And so that's one of the things that we talk about all the time is the news is not your friend. And this was a really poor, excuse me, poorly executed State of the Union address. And I think it came with a lot of false narrative. And unfortunately, it was a market mover. And the consumer sentiment reflected that when it came out the following day. So um, that's my thoughts on this. And I wasn't a huge fan of it. And uh, I kind of wanted to share that with you guys because I think there were some things that needed to be addressed amongst our audience. So thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, if you want to hear more from the What's Your One More podcast, please rate this five star, leave a comment, check us out on YouTube or go to our social media channels and leave some comments. I'm sure I'll get some really good ones on this uh, throughout the week as we start to post it. I got one more shot, I'm gonna make it One more chance, I'm gonna take it I meant it when I said it, now it's time for me to do it I got one life to live, so I put all into it, yeah